It is a good morning this morning. It is Mother's Day, and happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers, our grandmothers, our great-grandmothers. Some of you fit every one of those descriptions. If you're a mother, we wish you a happy Mother's Day. We want to thank you for all of the effort, all of the energy that you put in to helping to raise your family and serve them. Thank you for what you have made us to become under your guidance, under your hands. And as we think about mothers on Mother's Day, our minds are often turned to that woman who got us up in the morning. Get up, it's time to go to school. Get up, it's time to go to church. And for some of us, we think about that mother who, who smiled down on us as we had children of our own. For some of us, as we think about Mother's Day, we, we think of a mother who has passed on from this life. And now we reflect upon those things that we have learned, the, the things that we cherish, those precious memories. There's a number of reasons why we might have a mixture of emotions on a day like Mother's Day, but it's a, a day that's supposed to bring a smile to our face. It's meant to be a joyous occasion. It's meant to be a time that we reflect on that blessing that came from God, that blessing we know as mother or mom or mama. This morning as we look into our text, as we move our thoughts toward mothers, there's any number of mothers in the Bible that we could have chosen to, to speak about this morning, the Bible abounds with incredible examples of those who were mothers, wonderful mothers. We could talk about Eve, the mother of all living. We could talk about Sarah, the wife of Abraham, a woman who had such great faith that she's included in Hebrews chapter 11, that great hall of fame of, of heroes of faith. We might talk about Hannah. A beautiful song that was written by Hannah, very prophetic in nature. Hannah was a mother who dedicated her son to the service of the Lord, even before he was born. And, and when he was born, she followed through with her commitment. And then every year she would come to the temple to, to bring her son a coat. What a, a beautiful picture of a mother who continued to care for her son even though he wasn't always in her presence. Any one of these would be an incredible example of, an, of a lesson for us to consider for Mother's Day. In one year, we may consider one of these or all of these. But this morning, I want to talk to you about two mothers. Two mothers that we read about over in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. I appreciate Bernie reading that for us just a few minutes ago. And Luke, we know, is one of the four gospel accounts. And if you add up the words, you add up the verses, Luke actually wrote more of our New Testament than any other writer between his gospel and the book of Acts that he also wrote. And Luke's account, his gospel account, is a little bit unusual. See, Luke wasn't an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, but he's a researcher He's a medical doctor who, who apparently writes this account for 
some wealthy sponsor of his, a man who he greets both in Luke and in Acts, a man named Theophilus. And in the opening verses of Luke, you'll notice how he starts out by explaining that he had perfect understanding or he had investigated these things very carefully from the beginning. And his purpose is to write things out in an orderly way. Luke wanted to start at the beginning. And as a medical doctor, Luke, in fact, does start at the very beginning. He doesn't start with Jesus, but he starts with the conception of John the Baptist, the last prophet of the Old Testament, the forerunner of Jesus Christ. Starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 5, we learn about a priest by the name of Zacharias who has a vision as he's serving in the temple. And he and his wife, they are old. Luke says they're advanced in years. Elizabeth, that's Zacharias' wife, she is unable to bear children, but this angel comes and announces that Elizabeth is about to conceive and that she will bear a son. And that this son will be a great prophet in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And this son, who would be named John, will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Well, that's a clear reference to some of the closing verses of our Old Testament, the last prophecy from God, more than 400 years earlier. Zacharias questions the angel. He wonders, how is this going to be possible since my wife is so old? And for questioning God's plan, the angel takes away Zacharias' voice for nine months. Now, meanwhile, six months into this pregnancy, the angel Gabriel appears to a young woman, a virgin, who is engaged to be married to a carpenter, this young woman named Mary. Now, Elizabeth and Mary are related. Elizabeth is perhaps Mary's great aunt, and they live about 80 or 90 or so miles apart. Elizabeth lives down near Jerusalem, and Mary, she's up near Nazareth. And the angel's announcement to Mary is that she has found favor with God, and she's about to conceive and bear a son who would be called Jesus. The child would be called, in verse 32, the son of the highest. And like Zacharias, Mary questions the angel. In verse 34, she says, how can this be since I don't know a man? And the angel explains that the child will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. And as proof, the angel explains that her relative, Elizabeth, has also conceived in her old age. Now she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. And that's where we pick up this morning with our text in verse 39 of Luke chapter 1. This morning, I want us to look at both of these women at the same time. And the reason that we can do that is because their lives overlap in what is a very powerful meeting, a meeting that's now referred to by some as the visitation, the visitation of Mary to Elizabeth. Mary's an interesting and inspiring character in the Bible, and she is because of her complete submission to the will of God, even to the point of having his son. Elizabeth is an interesting character in the Bible because she accepted God's purpose 
for her in her life. And she encouraged Mary, Jesus' mother. As we're about to discover, these two women, their lives cross here in Luke chapter 1. As soon as Mary hears that Elizabeth is expecting a child, she takes off immediately, I believe, to confirm what she's just heard about herself. To give us some sense of the distance that Mary travels. I plugged it into Google Maps yesterday. And the distance from Nazareth down to the suburb of Jerusalem where, where Elizabeth most likely was living is roughly 95 miles. And for Mary, uh, this would have involved walking through several mountain ranges on some very primitive roads or dirt paths, almost in, in constant danger from various predators or, or people or otherwise. Google Maps tells us the journey would take about 32 hours on foot. And so here's this newly expectant young mother, perhaps in her early teens, and she walks, let's suppose, for eight hours a day. That trip will take her four or five days, and that's probably fairly optimistic for this journey. This morning as we study Mary and Elizabeth, I want us to look at Luke's record of their meeting. And as we look at that paragraph of Scripture, as we study these two women, I want us to consider very briefly four lessons that we can learn from these two women, four things that these women had in common. I hope you'll take your Bible this morning and follow along as we study through Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 45. And as we look at that text, and really as we look at all of Luke chapter 1, we find that both women believed God's message. There was some faith involved with both of these women. Obviously, in verse 39, we have at least some proof of Mary believing because she leaves immediately to go see her Aunt Elizabeth. And again, this isn't a trip to be taken lightly. How many of us would think about allowing our teenage daughters to take off walking from here to New Iberia? That's about 95 miles away. But Mary takes off because she believes the Word of God. She believes the message from this angel. I believe she's visiting Elizabeth to confirm the message, but the journey itself, is motivated by her belief that she is, in fact, carrying the Son of God. Where would she sleep along the way? What would she eat? Now, we don't know. But we do know that when she hears the angel's message, when she hears that God is about to do the impossible, Mary leaves to go see Elizabeth almost immediately. And that's pretty much the definition of faith. The writer of Hebrews would go on to say in Hebrews 11, verse 1, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Mary was assured. Mary was convicted of what she could only imagine, of something that, that no one had ever seen, that a virgin would bear a child. And once the angel explains what's about to happen, Mary accepts it. We look back up into verse 38. After the message from God, Mary says, Behold the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be to me according 
to your word. Mary believed. And then she rearranged her life to make it happen. Then we think about Elizabeth. Elizabeth also believed God's message. Mary had no more than said hello before Elizabeth understood exactly why she was there. Elizabeth knew and she believed exactly what was happening here. And this belief is mutual. In verse 45, Elizabeth says to Mary, Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth blesses Mary for believing. And the lesson for us this morning is it doesn't matter how old we are, how young we are. It doesn't matter how rich we are or how poor we are. All of us are able to believe the Word of God. All of us are able to believe that what God says will happen will actually happen. So first of all, both of these women are examples and that both of them believed the Word of God. They hear the message from the angels and they believe what God is telling them. There's something else. A second point for us to see about these two women having in common, and that is Mary and Elizabeth. They both react to what's happening here with great joy. Both of them see God's plan as a blessing for them in their life. Now today, obviously, not all pregnancies are received with great joy. But in this case, both women are absolutely thrilled. Earlier in the chapter, we think of it, the angel's message to Zacharias. In verse 14, the angel says, You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. And then we look at Elizabeth herself. Here's a woman whose friends are probably all welcoming their grandchildren into the world. But Elizabeth is getting ready for her very first child. But we don't get the impression here that this is a burden for Elizabeth. Elizabeth understands the words of King David in Psalm 127 in verse 3 where he said that children are a gift from God. They are his reward. This is true quite literally in Elizabeth's case. All children are a gift from God, but it seems like so much more for her as she's far beyond childbearing years. And what she says shows us that she's bringing God into all of this. Now, what happens in verses 39 through 45 is a spiritual conversation as Elizabeth praises God for bringing this joy into their lives. And specifically, she's especially happy about what's happening with Mary. In verse 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And from there, Elizabeth is overwhelmed with great joy about what's happening. Mary's joy is described in the paragraph right after this one in what appears to be a song, starting in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. And on she continues. So Elizabeth is happy. 
Mary is happy. And, and we should also point out here that it seems like John is even happy. When John, who is still in the womb, hears Mary's voice, Luke tells us that he leaped in the womb. I, I saw a picture several months ago online, and it, and it simply had this statement. It said, the first person to recognize Jesus as the Son of God was an unborn child. And that's true, isn't it? John, as the last Old Testament prophet, seems to have made his first prophetic statement even before he was born. At six months along in the pregnancy, little John would have been about nine inches long and maybe weigh about a pound and a half. And even before he was born, when he hears Mary's voice, he leaps inside of his mother's womb. We think about the call of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5, God said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you, you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Like Jeremiah, John was called to be a prophet before he was even born. And John, filled with the Holy Spirit, recognized that Jesus was the Son of God even before he was born. And so we have a passage filled with great joy. And it seems to me that if they were happy, we ought to be happy too. What happens in Luke chapter 1 makes our salvation possible. Remember the message to the shepherds in the next chapter? In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angels announced to the shepherds, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be for all the people. We are all the people. What happens here is for us. And so there's this sense of great joy that comes along with being a part of the Christian faith. We go back again to our text. We continue looking for what Mary and Elizabeth have in common. We find not only do they believe, not only do they both react with joy, but we also find that these women, both women, accept God's plan for their lives with humility. Both women are humble. When Mary arrives, Elizabeth is in no way jealous. But she's amazed. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she asks a question. Elizabeth asks, but why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord would come and see me? Elizabeth realizes that Mary is the mother of her Lord. The Bible tells us that Mary leaves home immediately upon hearing that she is about to conceive. Now, assuming that this trip takes a week, maybe two, Mary's no more than a week or two along in a pregnancy at this point. Jesus is nothing more than a speck. We think back perhaps to our, our high school biology days, and, and we realize at this point the Son of God is not much larger than the head of a pen. The being in Mary's womb is fully human and fully God. Before he's born, before 
his first miracle, before his first sermon, before he dies on the cross, before he comes back from the dead, Jesus is her Lord. Elizabeth, in, in all humility, recognizes Jesus as Lord and Mary as his mother. Elizabeth's own son would be Jesus' forerunner, but there's no jealousy here, only humility. And the same thing goes for Mary. Mary seems to be amazed that God has chosen her. We skip down to, to Mary's praise of God, Mary's song. We look in verse 48. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. We have no indication here, by the way, that, that Mary is any kind of co-redeemer with Jesus. No indication that she herself was immaculately conceived. No indication that she has the ability to intercede on our behalf or anyone's behalf to God. Instead, Mary is, by her own admission, just normal. Both women are humble. And there's something here for us. We can learn from their humility. When someone's honored more than we are, we can rejoice for them. And when we ourselves are honored, we can react like Mary did. Not in a what took you so long kind of way, but with humility, expressing thankfulness the honor. And especially when it comes to our relationship with God, we need to realize that God doesn't owe us anything. We're God's humble servants. We need to step back and remember that we serve God. It's not the other way around. As we come to the end of today's passage, one more thing that I want us to notice that Mary and Elizabeth have in common. Not only do they believe, not only do they react with joy, not only are they humble, but we find in this passage, number four, both women manage to encourage the other. Have we ever wondered why God chose these two women who are related to one another? I kept asking myself that question this week, and then I wondered, without Elizabeth, without Elizabeth, who could Mary have talked to for encouragement? Who would have believed her? We don't know about her relationship with her own parents, but can you imagine Mary trying to talk about these things to her friends? Imagine being a teenager and explaining this to your classmates. The story's almost unbelievable. And so we have Elizabeth, not only fully prepared by God to be John's mother, but it seems she's also uniquely prepared by God to be an encouragement to Mary. Her pregnancy is also uh, amazing. It's miraculous even. And she's six months ahead of Mary. Even today with all of our advances in medicine, realizing that a baby's on the way has to be one of the most overwhelming and, and defining moments in a woman's life. For some, it's expected and it's amazing. For others, it might be unexpected and, and maybe a little bit terrifying. But either way, I'm thinking that, that most women probably need somebody to talk to. And that's what Mary and Elizabeth have in each other. Just as John was to prepare the way for Jesus, it seems that Elizabeth was able to prepare the way 
for Mary. Elizabeth was able to say to Mary, I know how you feel. And she was able to say it in a way that no one else on this earth could have said it. And the lesson for us is that all of us need encouragement. We need to give it. And we need to receive it. We need to lean on each other. As Christians, God put us in a Christian family to be together, to get to know each other, to go to each other when we need help. Obviously, it's not enough to listen to the preacher. But teenagers like Mary need to connect with with the older Christian women like Elizabeth. Somehow, the Marys and the Elizabeths in the church need to bump into each other and spend some time together. And what's true for the women is also true for the men. Sometimes as men, we we might think, well, we don't need any friends. We've got this. We can handle things by ourselves. But we know, if we're honest, that's not true. All of us in the church need encouragement. And that takes some effort on our part. As Christians, we need that relationship. We need that encouragement. And, And we see an example of it right here in our text with Mary and Elizabeth as they provide encouragement to one another. As we come to the end of our study together this morning, I hope that we come away with a a greater appreciation for Mary and a greater appreciation for Elizabeth and what they went through for us. We've learned this morning these women had several things in common. They both believed God's message, and they acted on it, giving us an example to follow today. They both reacted to their their unusual circumstances with joy, again, motivating us to be joyful ourselves, despite of our circumstances. Both of these women, both of these mothers were humble. We find no hint of arrogance in these two. Another good reminder for us today. And then finally, we learned that Mary and Elizabeth, they were both able to encourage each other. A reminder that that we need to encourage each other. We need Christian family. We need Christian friends to help us through difficult times. Isn't it incredible when we look at the Bible and we see God blessing us in so many ways? We're thankful this morning for the blessing of mothers. We're thankful for the examples of mothers, mothers like Mary and mothers like Elizabeth. We've been blessed in many ways, either through mothers or or grandmothers or or other ladies who, who surround us in our lives. And that's just one example of the many ways, the countless ways that God continues to bless us. Happy Mother's Day, and thank you, mothers. As we close, we want to at least briefly explain the gospel. The good news that that Jesus eventually was born. He lived a, a perfect life, and then he was crucified for our sins, taking on the punishment that we deserve. See, sin separates us 
from God, but Jesus stepped in and he bridged the gap. We have a way back to God. We respond to that sacrifice that he made by calling on God for salvation. We do this by turning away from sin and by being immersed in water as he's commanded for the forgiveness of our sins. If that's your need today, we hope that you'll reach out to us. We hope that you'll let us know. We hope you'll let us assist you with your obedience to the gospel. Or if you're already a Christian, maybe you need prayers of the church on your behalf. Maybe you need that encouragement that you can receive from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Or maybe you need forgiveness. Let us know this morning what your need is. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. We'll do everything we can to be of assistance to you. Call us, text us, email us, contact us in some way. Let us know your need. Think about and examine yourself. Consider your situation, your circumstances. As we sing this next song, if you need to make a change, if you need to reach out, let us know. Let's sing together.